This episode of the Detox Podcast is brought to you by Rebel Riot Printing. Celebrating their 10th year in business, Rebel Riot is locally owned and family operated, offering custom printed tees with no minimums and fast turnaround. And by Bitsbox. Bitsbox teaches kids to code. Real JavaScript, real devices, and really fun. Hands down the most fun way for curious kids ages 6 to 14 to learn coding. Use promo code DETOX for $20 off any subscription order of $50 or more. That's D-T-A-L-K-S DETOX for $20 off any order of $50 or more with BitsBox. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Detox Podcast, a parenting podcast where you can detox from the world around you and get a window into how other people live their lives. Come detox with detox. I'm your host, Joe Shaw, and on today's episode, I speak to Mr. Stephen Fishback, most known for his two stints on Survivor, the TV show, but also as podcast host of the Paraphrase podcast. Stephen and I got together to talk about literacy in America, how parents can help cultivate a love of reading when there's so many screens around. We dig into the Paraphrase podcast, and of course, there is some Survivor talk. Overall, it's a really great episode. I think you're really going to enjoy it. Stick around. We'll be right back after this. Welcome back to the Detox Podcast. With me at this time is Mr. Stephen Fishback. Stephen, how are you doing today? Oh my God, it's such a it's such a thrill to be here. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> I am really excited, and I know the listeners always hear me say that I'm really excited, and I am. I'm excited to get, dig into a couple of different topics, and I know that I spoke to you a little bit offline about what those topics were, and I thought you'd be the perfect person to uh, to go over that with you, and you uh, told me that that was not the case, but I think regardless, it will be very interesting. Yes, I said that I was the imperfect person, and that I was in no way qualified to speak on any of the subjects we're about to talk about. Yes, that is correct, but but forward we must go, and so we shall. So... Uh, <laughs> One of the things that I want to want to talk about with you, Stephen, is uh, kind of speaking from a perspective of someone who received their their BA, their Bachelor of Arts in English from Yale. I want you to walk me through how important literacy is. I know it might seem obvious, but the Washington Post and Huffington Post have touched on how America has not improved from a literacy perspective in over 10 years. And I want you to walk me through what, what those kind of stats were. 32 million Americans or 32 million adults in the U.S. can't read. Walk me through what, what do you think, like, how does that make you feel? What does that mean to you when you hear those kind of numbers? Well, I mean, first of all, it's certainly upsetting, right, to hear that there is that significant amount. So you're saying that's that's increasing that is correct. Yes. Wow, that's so wild. This, I mean, because you know, yeah, you know, from my perspective, and obviously, I'm, you know, I think we all live increasingly in bubbles. Like, I've just been delighted and thrilled to like find new communities of readers and people interested in like sure. the same like type of of reading that I am, and people engaging with literature in the same way that I am uh, that I'm interested in. So, you know, I feel like with all of these various media that are available to us, you know, we're certainly all typists, we're all right, you know, we're all writers, we're all quippers on social media. And, right. you know, I think that there's more and more ways for people to find each other. So, you know, it's, it's, it's really surprising to me that, you know, what that, uh, that there is this increasing um, 
illiteracy. And of course, it's it's upsetting. You know, literature's and, and reading and, and being able to uh, communicate through words is one of the great pleasures and skills. And and I'm I'm sad that it's happening. T- tell me tell me why. Right. What are these articles saying? Right. So I think what is becoming the case is it seems to me that with the ad advance of technology as easy as it is to uh, read wherever you are now you've got ebooks you've got you know kindles you've got all kinds of ways in which to consume written word it also we're making technology a lot um, more intuitive and communicating you know you've got emojis you've got phones you've right. got swiping you've got a lot of ways in which you know, you don't necessarily need to read in order to understand how to operate a device or communicate and so i think it, it becomes a little bit of a chore to then see the necessary reason for needing to read and needing to consume and in fact it even talked about, and I know the Huffington Post article is a little bit, a little bit dated, but it said, uh, according to the National Assessment of Adult Literacy, completed, uh, this one was talking about back in 2003, and then before that, 92, 14% of adult Americans demonstrated a below basic literacy level in 2003, and only 29% exhibited a basic reading level. Wait, say but those stats again. Yes, yes, yes. This is in, so two, in 14, 2003, you're saying. Yes, so this is back in 2003, uh, where it's pulling some of the longer numbers from to show the trend continuing forward. 14% of adult Americans demonstrated a below basic literacy level, Mm -hmm. and 29% exhibited a basic reading level. So, so I'm just going to write this down because I feel like I feel like yeah, you're going to yeah. tell me that that's getting and that you're saying that's going to getting worse. So 2003, 14% is, is below basic. What does below basic mean? Below basic. Uh, let me see. It defined it a moment ago. Um, okay, so below basic means you're able to understand the letters, like the alphabet yeah. and g- generic numbers and letters, but you don't have quite um, a. I think it was a below fourth grade reading comprehension level. So you're not able to comprehend a lot of complex um, verbiage. Um, got it, got it, got it. So and only so, 29% so, exhibit that basic. So, but is that, now was that historically, I mean, to me that seems like historically low, right? Like throughout most of history, like most people couldn't read. Right. Um, so yes. to me, like 14% people who are below basic that seems like a major windfall for for civilization right and i think so i think what's what's interesting and i and i think this is the the thesis of what the the articles the multiple articles i was looking at was stating is that while it is better in certain situations you would think it would be even more better now that we have such advancements in technology and such readily available supply because for so long people didn't have access to a lot of the same reading materials and it was a, you had to work to go get books and teach yourself how to read and so it was easier just to not but now it's easier to do it and it's harder to to not read and so th- i think that's where it says why are we seeing a trend where people are not having a, a, a more than basic reading comprehension or literacy level when we're the most advanced we've ever been in, in history. Right. So I'm sorry. So tell, tell me now that it's, it's, you're saying it's going down. What are, what are the latest stats? Did you... So yeah, yeah. Let me pull up the Washington Post article. Let's see here. Um, 
So here we go. This is from a, it was looking a bit more locally. So this is in, in DC. It talked about, uh, let's see here. Okay. So according to 2014 census, right. 21% of working age adults in the city lacked a high school diploma. And at the same time, 19% of the adults cannot read a newspaper, much less complete a job application. But that actually doesn't sound that big, like like that big a shift. Like read a newspaper, uh, what seems to me like even maybe above basic or basic. You know, 14% in 2003, yeah. 19% in 2009. We're also talking about a big city, which might have high variance right. in terms of, you know, education levels. True, um, true. I'd, oh, here we go. I gotta say, I'm 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 gonna dispute your premise that that's a major uh, <laughs> uh, shift downwards. You know, the 2003 stats don't have necessarily um, high school stats, right? It's just pure reading level. Sure. I mean, I'm assuming that anyone right. who has a high school diploma has probably a basic level, which is 29. percent Right. Yeah. Um, I would I would agree with that. I get, yeah. I mean, I guess it does. It does see, talk I mean, about it's just hard at to the correlate those level. It's hard to. Yeah. Right. That's national too. It's hard. It's hard to compare sure. those things. Right. No, that's true. I think now it talks about uh, further down the Washington Post article, it talks about, um, let's see here, 32 million adults in the U.S. can't read. And this is as of 2014. Right. Census. Uh, and it talked about the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development found that 50 percent of U.S. adults can't read a book written at an eighth grade level. That's that's so that, now we're right. Right. So now it's. Half of U.S. adults, um, and and so we and basic was basic was assuming that they could that they could. I mean, right, I feel like right. there's a, a there's a problem in terms here. Like I do find it very difficult to believe that within ten years, like the reading level would drop by twenty percent, or that there's some sort of like issue sure. with like what counts as a a book written at an eighth right. grade level versus basic reading. Right. And, and again, like I hate to just like bog down in terms, but I don't. I also really am scared of making any kind of sweeping statements about people's no, no, I know. Uh, you know literacy or, or ability to read when sure. you know, so much goes goes into that. Right. I think. I think also. I mean. I think also, uh, like putting this into a little bit of context, newspapers are trying to to sell papers or, or get clicks, and so of course maybe maybe some of these stats are paraphrased or a little bit inflated. But I think the overall theme that I was reading from both of the pieces was less about how scary it is that people can't read and more about the fact of are we getting as a society, right? Are we getting lazy in teaching ourselves and growing? to where we're no longer putting forth the effort and then are we making ourselves susceptible to being swayed in other ways because if we're not comprehending we're not reading we're not educating does that leave us open to being swayed by others who are right um i mean you know it certainly seems that people are more or you know but like were people ever like not easily swayed i mean it, you know I, I, uh, right. to, to me that <laughs> that's a good point. that uh you know that becomes more a function of of techno technology and and you know um, the way that social media you sure. know, keeps us confined to groups of like-minded people. The way that inflammatory yes. uh, headlines are artificially inflated by clicks, sure. and then clicks driving the way that they're that that the social media algorithm features them more more prominently. Like in terms of like the impact of of any kind of demagogues, like before. I mean, you know, 
I, I, I just can't comment. I'm so sorry. No, I'm so sorry. No, no, no. I you wish I'd known. I wish I'd known we were going to talk about literacy. <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah. It's 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 good. It's it's worth discussing. This is something that I think. I mean, as a parent, and I know so many of my listeners are parents that you know think about things like this all the time, and especially when we've got little ones such as I do, we're thinking about as we're teaching them to read and we're trying to to educate them and push them to grow. We're wanting to educate people and the next generation on being able to, to think for themselves right. and vet out information themselves. And I think it becomes scary about like, well, at a certain point, it's out of your hands. And I think it's that wanting to control and protect. And I think it's maybe it's something to be scared about now, but it is something that, you know, definitely consumes a portion of my of my mind. So I think I think to that, I think you bring up some good points about, you know, maybe maybe we're rushing to to get uh, panicked about something and maybe it's okay. And I think if you focus on what's at home and you focus on what's in front of you, then that's really all you can do at the end of the day. And, and you can't force everybody to be more literate. It's more of you've got to start at home with your family. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, I, I think that, you know, we've there's been there's a lot of talk about you know, the death of reading and everything was going to be ebooks mm-hmm. and Amazon was going to control everything and all bookstores were going to shutter. And right. um, that has actually, there's been a little bit, you know, I don't, again, I don't have the statistics, but there's been a little bit of a reversal of that in recent years where, you know, um, printed books are making a resurgence. There's, there's more and more independent bookshops. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, the, the Barnes and Nobles That's of true. the world yeah. kind of got squeezed between Amazon, you know, or squeezed out by Amazon, but then that created room for community institutions like independent bookstores that people really value. So, um, right. you know, again, like I'm sure, you know, I, I, don't, I just don't have the stats and, and I, I'm sure that, you know, any independent bookstore owner is shaking his fist at me for uh, under, <laughs> under, you know, undermining the, the threat of Amazon. But I, I do think that there is, you know, you know, reading will find a way and, and maybe I'm like overly optimistic about that, but um, yeah, you know, in terms of like, finding and, and building and supporting communities of, of readers. And, and you know, I, as much as, and again, like I haven't thought about, I, I don't know anything about why that's happening. You know, maybe, maybe the, those right. articles told like had some sort of theory about why that would be the case, you know, from my perspective, you know, of course there's like a coarsening of debate that social media causes, but it also has the positive right. effect of creating, you know, communities of readers. And like, you know, I've gotten a lot of pleasure out of, out of like following um, some of my favorite writers on, on Twitter and on Instagram and having that sort of daily engagement with their uh, thoughts and their, you know, insights and, and also their struggles right. has, you know, pushes, pushes my own thinking. So I feel like it's, it's a, it's a double-edged sword. I mean, just to, to sure. step, take a step back, why, why does, what is the reason? Like, why does the Washington Post article and the other article, you know, uh, say we're, we're reading less or the reading ability is declining? Um, let me pull up the overall, let's see here. Uh, I'm trying to see where it was. Uh, do, 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 do. Of course, there's so many pop-up ads. Uh, where was it? it? Talks about the adult literacy crisis. Uh, this is so. This article was published in 2016, just for a point of context. Yeah. And let's see here. And presumably, it's just gotten worse, right? Like whatever trends right. that they're identifying then are just. Uh... Right. Uh, so I'll be honest. I'm going back through this article and just skimming back through it. It doesn't say 
what the reason is, just that we're in a crisis and this is why it matters. Right. So, right. Right. Well, I mean, ar- arguably, we're always in a crisis. Well, though, to be I mean, honest. It's, well, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, I, I believe I believe the Washington Post, you know, I, I'm sure I, you know, I believe that they are, uh, you know, so. So uh, it's that's that's obviously scary and upsetting to to hear about right. that. You know, there's such a significant increase in in illiteracy. I mean, right. Yeah. I think I, I wonder almost and there's other topics I want to get into as well, but this is a good just just good discussion. I almost wonder if it's. I don't know if it's easy. Uh, I was going to say it's easier to hide it, but I, I would argue that maybe it was easier to hide it back, you know, in the 20s and the 30s than it is now. I feel like it's significantly harder to hide being illiterate now, but maybe that's just my own perspective. Right. I mean, I it seems like everyone is typing all the time, but you know, maybe you're right that maybe it's, um, you know, with, with emojis and, and, you know, just largely, you know, and the willingness to communicate in, you know, pictograms, like maybe it's not, um, right. Maybe things are right. Maybe there's less, uh, and less necessity, but it's hard. It's hard to gauge specifically without knowing the causes. It's hard to gate, you know, to think about, well, it's hard to think about the causes without no, without knowing right, the right, causes. Right, 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 exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I know. Okay, well, I want to kind of segue into uh, this next kind of talking point, and I want to know, Stephen, from your perspective, uh, for the parent listeners out there, how do you feel that parents can help cultivate a love of reading with their children now with so many screens and devices around? Because it's so easy to pull up a game or a TV yeah. show. How can they cultivate that same love of reading? I've got my own kind of thoughts, but I want to hear yours first. Yeah, I'm very curious about yours. Again, a subject I am very like woefully uh, <laughs> incapable of opining on. I do not have children of my own. However, I have been reading about uh, operant conditioning, so maybe that like gives me some okay. sort of uh, some sort of credibility um no i you know like i a friend of mine who's a parent and a writer was saying to me recently that now whenever she reads a book she'll make a point of reading the hardcover book or not the hardcover but like the physical book the object book because oh sure instead of reading on a kindle or an ipad and maybe that's like you know maybe every parent already knows that but to me that was sort of like an aha moment like yeah of course because children are going to mirror the things that we do and um you know you so if they see us or they see parents uh, reading books, then then they're gonna you know follow you know follow that behavior. Um, right. Is that is that is that old news? No, I mean yes and no. I would say uh, I had that. That was yes. Well, no, 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 no. I think <laughs> so. I think on one hand, there's probably a lot of listeners that are going, well, duh. But for right. me, I didn't even put that together until the last few months. I'll be right. honest. In my oldest is almost five. So, I mean, so it's something where I'll I'll give you a perfect example. I, um, so one of the things I do in general, I love to read. And then also I interview authors on here from time to time. And so I've got their books that I want to read beforehand. And so there's sometimes where I'll get an ebook and I'll be on my phone reading it. Right. And I noticed that specifically my son, who's two and a half, would get irritated Saturday or Sunday mornings if I'm sitting in the recliner, they're playing, and I'm on my phone because he perceives that I'm ignoring him for some nebulous thing. Right. But when I've got the physical copy and I'm reading the book, he might come and interact with me, but he's not irritated and he doesn't think I'm ignoring him because he sees that I'm reading a book. Right. And one thing that we've tried to instill in our kids is every bedtime we get, we, you know, we do jammies, brush teeth, and we sit down and we read two to three books like Dr. Seuss or Curious George or whatever the case may be. And then they go to bed. And so we see reading as part of the bedtime routine. They get excited. They think about what books they're going to read. And so they're only reading the physical books. 
and then they see me reading the physical book and then they see, you know, they're mirroring to your point. And when they're mirroring the phone, they get irritated. Right. But when they see the book, they understand I'm reading a story or I'm learning. I've got knowledge already even at like two and a half and almost and four and a half. They get it. And right. so it wasn't until a couple months ago that I realized, oh, I need to make a point to be off my phone as much as possible. Yeah. No, I mean, again, like I'm sure that's something that every parent already knows. Um, but uh, not being a parent, it was, you, you know, what was, you know, what I, this is sort of like vaguely related. But I, I remember uh, reading an interview with uh, it was either with Stephen King or with his son, Joseph Hill, who is himself a writer mm-hmm. now. And it was about maybe it was it was with maybe this was in um, on writing. But. Uh, Stephen King's big book, a uh, big craft book about how to write. Mm-hmm. But he was saying, or Joseph Hill was saying about his childhood that they would always, um, you know, whenever something happened, you know, whenever like Joe Hill was playing make believe or whenever any of Stephen King, mm-hmm. King's kids were playing make believe, you know, and they, they would sort of start a scenario like, Oh, and the car went off the cliff. And then Stephen King would be like, okay. And then what happened? And then what happened? And then, and then what happened? And then he would keep on yeah. pushing um, the kid, his, his children to, you know, keep filling in that story to, you know, really, um, really fulfill that storyteller's instinct. And now, you know, Joseph Hill uh, is is a best-selling novelist. Um, Owen King, I think, is also a writer. So, um, yeah, it worked out for them. Yeah. No, that's really great. And that's, that's, you get the creativity flowing and you really cultivate that idea of the storyteller concept, which is just... I mean, once you get it, it's just, it's hard to shake. I, uh, small shout out to Joseph Hill's Lock and Key. I believe oh my God, it's awesome. That. So good. Yeah. Oh, and Netflix. Oh, I was, I was bummed that the Hulu pilot didn't get picked up because Danny Glover was in that. Oh, wow. Um, but I believe Netflix picked it up, but I don't know if they retained Danny Glover. But uh, regardless, I'm excited to see the show. But that series was just incredible. If you haven't picked it up, you need to right away. It is a... Um a series of graphic novels, uh, and it's yes, it's just correct. great. It's really beautifully written, like great, like you know, sort of set in H.P. Uh, Lovecraft's kind of general, right. you know, uh, surroundings, I guess. Um, but but really a unique spin on it, while also maintaining you know some of um, the sort of aura of of. Um, of Lovecraft, but yeah, we really, right. I loved it. It was such a perfect graphic novel. I actually, you know, like normally I love to see the things that I've loved adapted into uh, TV shows, but for that one, I'm like, I, I, I don't mm-hmm. need to see it. I'm good. I, I really just sure. enjoyed it so much in its original form. <laughs> yeah. I can't imagine liking it, uh, you know, in, in an adaptation. It is really good. And I've read it a, a couple of times and I used to be somebody that wouldn't read graphic novels unless it was like, you know, DC or Marvel. But then a friend of mine stuck it in my hand and said, you've got to read this. So I did. And, and uh, it was fantastic. Just uh, yeah, I, I started going into details, but I don't want to spoil anything for anybody who's listening. But pick it up; you won't regret it. Definitely check it out. Yeah. Um, so, Stephen, I want you to talk me through. Uh, for those that may not know, Stephen hosts the Paraphrase Podcast, which is a, a a podcast where you speak to different book authors about their novel and 
there or nonfiction work? Is it only fiction or is it uh, nonfiction? Well, as well? well, it was fiction until yesterday when I interviewed my first uh, author for nonfiction. Actually, it's okay. The, well, there you go. <laughs> uh, it's a fiction writer, Carmen Maria Machado, who I had reached out to uh, about interviewing her about her book of short stories. And um, she was like, she's told, she said at the time, which was probably a year ago, you know, she was working on finishing a memoir and she'd much rather wait until that came out to do the interview. So um, that's what we did. And definitely very different, um, you know, to talk about uh, nonfiction and memoir as opposed to fiction, but, uh, you know, fascinating and none, you know, nonetheless. Right. Well, what I love about your show is you've got these different authors on and they not only talk about their their book and the process and and then their perspective on it as well, but then you also have them read the first paragraph or first portion of their book at the very beginning. And that uh, I just I, I really dig it. So walk me through why you even wanted to start the podcast, why, you know, this was the right time to start it and kind of what you're wanting to ultimately get out of it. Yeah, I mean, you know, the first the issue I was looking for a podcast to listen to that was basically I was okay. looking for a podcast that kind of addressed uh, writing craft at the paragraph level because I, okay. you know, there's so many uh, podcasts about story structure or about, you know, first lines. But, you know, to me, the biggest challenge in my own writing has always been the unit of the paragraph because that's just like, you know, mm. there's so much, there's there's questions of balance and, and you know, sustained metaphor that go into the, into that. And, but, but it's, you know, not, it's like both, you know, smaller than a novel and bigger than a sentence. So, uh, sure. Yeah. That, so, but, but I, you know, I essentially, I was looking for song exploder. If you're familiar, if you're familiar with that podcast, yes. that yes. kind of breaks down the choices that a musician made in, in, in a song, in a song, um, for books and it didn't exist, which was very frustrating. And so I thought to myself, you know, I could start, I could start that podcast. Um, and initially, right. my idea was I would just interview authors about any paragraph from their novel, which I, I did a few test versions of it and found it to be uh, unlistenable because because you know it's it's hard for a listener to just sort of pick up at some middle sure. paragraph. And the other issue was it was hard to agree with authors uh, about what paragraph they would talk about. You know, something that I thought was interesting and rich, they might feel like was non-representative. So just sort of uh, oh, okay. honing in on that first paragraph, kind of an easy one to talk about, easy for a listener. You know, this is the introduction to the book to anyone, whether they're reading the book or listening to the book. And, um, you know, often... Uh, by virtue of that, actually, it's much more conscious and deliberate than than any of another author's subsequent paragraphs. You know, that first paragraph, people put a lot of work into. So when you're asking them, sure. oh, why this sentence or why did you start here or why did you do this thing? They usually have a reason. But if you're asking for, you know, a similar question for like later on in the book someone very well might be like, uh, I don't know. You know, like I, I just hit my, yeah. <laughs> I hit, hit my flow and that's what came out. Right. That's a good that's a good point too because I think to your to your point and perspective people do put a lot of time and money and effort and I think or maybe not necessarily money but I well, I guess so time blood sweat and tears that's right, a better way right, to describe it right. in into that uh, into that first paragraph because you really I mean it's so hard to to get started but I think once you've started then presumably things can start flowing from there and I think it's really interesting to think I mean, there are so many different books where I love a certain middle section. And, and I remember uh, I was talking to an author not too long ago when I, I picked out one of the things he said. And he, he had, you know, uh, 
meaning behind what he wrote, but it wasn't as impactful to him as the very beginning of the book. Right. Um, which we talked about uh, at the beginning of the episode. And I realized, oh, this was middle towards towards the end. And while he remembered it, he was also on a roll trying to meet a deadline, this kind of thing or whatever, or maybe going back and re-editing. But that first part, that meant a lot to him. And it really set the tone for the rest of the book. So I wholeheartedly agree with your uh, approach to that as well. Yeah, and and you know, uh, you know, it's what's been interesting to me is is hearing from authors about, um, you know, a, as many different authors as I've interviewed, everyone has had a sort of different story about how they came to their beginning, and sure, uh, you know, some for some it's the first scene that they they had. You know, I, I interviewed the author Jeff Vandermeer about his book Annihilation, which is one of my all time favorite books. And mm -hmm. literally the, the first, you know, the beginning of his novel came to him in a dream. He woke up, he wrote it down, changed very little from this dream he had to, you know, the final published book, which is, you know, very rare, <laughs> you know, for, for someone else right. like, like Teddy Wayne. I interviewed <laughs> right. him about his, his novel Loner, another incredible book, which is, I think is actually getting adapted into an HBO miniseries, speaking of adaptations. Oh, nice. Um, it's, uh, you know, for him, it's like that was not even the first scene as he initially wrote it. You know, he went back after the fact. Um, you know, he every line in that is like, well, I, you know, you can ask you could ask him a question about, well, why is the mother the first person who speaks? And he'll say, well, the, that's mirroring something that happens later. So, you know, there's there's a just a, a whole range of of uh, crafting of of craft decisions, which, you know, as for me as an aspiring writer is really reassuring because it's a reminder that there's no one right way, you know, that like there's right. any, you know, there's so many different ways to achieve that final that final book. Yeah, no, definitely. I think that's that's so key just to really think about and, and understand. I, I feel like this a lot with, with a lot of art, but then also with uh, writing as well, and that there's so many different ways and approaches in which to, to complete the task. And everybody, everybody comes to the task differently with their own perspectives and views and has their own style and approach. And I just, it's fascinating to me. I love, love your podcast and, and, Oh, thank and you. That's just, so nice. So yes, of course. And, and, it's so fascinating and interesting to me just why people do what they do. I'm inherently fascinated with people's personal stories and understanding why did you do this? Why did you write that? Why did you paint this? Yeah. And there's always a story there that I just want to grab a cup of coffee, sit by the fire and just listen to. It's fantastic. Yeah. I, you know, I feel that I feel the same way, you know, and, and kind of wanting to get into that sort of, um, you know, whatever thing is motivating them at both the thematic level, at the at the level of, you know, story, and then also just at, even on a smaller level, like to, to, you know, for someone who has a vision that they're trying to realize, like, what are the micro craft decisions that they're making to realize that? Like, that to me is always, is, right. is always really interesting, too, because ultimately, you know, like any piece of art is uh, the product of like a billion tiny, tiny decisions. And uh, right. you know, being able to make those decisions well is the difference between great art and not less great art. Absolutely. Is there, uh, before we kind of pivot, 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 
pivot to one of the um, the kind of next phase. Is there is there something you want to hype for for paraphrase? I know that uh, one of the last episodes was a few months ago, and so you you mentioned that you just interviewed somebody. So do you, is there something you want to hype for the listeners so that we, of course, they're gonna go and subscribe because I'm gonna put all the information in the show notes. But is there something you want to hype for people and get them excited for the next, uh, I guess, maybe season or, or set of episodes that you've got? What's uh, what's on the horizon for that? Well, the next episode I'm really excited about. So it is, it's coming out November 5th. It's uh, Carmen Maria Machado, as I mentioned. Her memoir, In the Dream House, um, is, is, is coming out actually that day. It's this just brilliant memoir. Um, it's about uh, a relationship, an abusive relationship that she was in with another woman. And it's also about, you know, more broadly, um, wh- how narrative, there's just try there's how few narratives of queer abuse there are in Mm. the general culture. And sure. um, So it's trying to like open a space for this new narrative at the, or for this, at the same time, um, this, this memoir is is structured in all of these fascinating different ways. Like part of it is a sci-fi adventure, you know, part of it is uh, a choose your own adventure, you know, part of it reads like a thriller. So she takes all of these different like types of narrative and kind of refracts her own story through those uh, different um, modes. And it's, it's really, really just a fun, I mean, obviously it's a, it's, traumatic and intense but in terms of like the reading sure. experience like it's so engaging and so cle- and so like clever and innovative um that it actually is it's a a great way to read this um incredibly difficult story and to think about this broader cultural phenomenon mm. that's a really good point and i and i think you're right that there is uh so few examples of that in 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 the narrative style and so i think it's fascinating not only that she's doing this but also in the way in which she's structuring it. i think it, it will really resonate with a lot of readers for sure yeah and i i think so i think so i think it's going to be you know and i think even if you know you don't you know even if you're that sounds like like terrible to you you know like i you know you don't want to read a that's you know it's it's actually i think i think it will i think it will reach more people um than one might think because it is it's so structurally mm. clever uh clever it's so passionate it's so um well written you know just every part of it is so great that i think that you know even even readers who might feel that they would be turned off by the subject matter are, are actually going to be really engaged that's awesome i love it so much well, that's exciting. And we're going to kind of near the end of this episode, I've got to talk to you about some Survivor. Um, I told oh, you yeah. I would. So, and I know that you had said, <laughs> you had said that's what you thought you were being asked on for. Well, no, I, I was literacy shocked stats to find I was asked, Yeah, no, it was actually literacy. No, I, I, look, I really appreciate the vote of confidence that I, you, know, you absolutely sure. I completely screwed up on. You know, like a vote of confidence I clearly did not deserve, but I really appreciate it nonetheless. <laughs> well, that's for the listeners to decide. They'll tell you. It's fine. Um, um, great, great. I look forward to seeing my Twitter. All right. Yeah. <laughs> well, so I want to know if I recall correct. So for the listeners that may not know, you were on Survivor Token Sheens, which was season 18. That's right. And then you were also on uh, Survivor Cambodia Second Chance season 31. Yes. And so for for those who, uh, so I just kind of wanted to level set with that. And Cambodia was back in 2015. Right. And Token Sheens was in 2008. Am I remembering that correctly? Uh, yeah, we filmed in 2008. Actually, we were in Brazil um, during the presidential election when Obama got elected. Okay. Um, okay. But it aired starting in early 2009. 
Okay. That's right. I was in London in 2008 during that time. So oh, that's, there you go. Uh, we were both abroad. Yeah, not, yes, that's right. <laughs> Just different climates. Um, yeah, but I, exactly. if I recall correctly, you were recruited, right? You were recruited kind of a little last minute for Token Jeans. Is that correct? That's right. They had already cast the season, but I think they weren't totally happy with their cast. And, um, sure. you know, they'd already cast basically, you know, the, at the time, especially still to some degree, survivor casts in terms of archetypes. You know, there's always mm -hmm. the, the beach beauty. There's the, the alpha male, you know, and they always have a nerd. Right. And I, I think actually now they cast like a lot of nerds, but at the time there was one nerd and right. you know, they'd already nerds cast are in their, now. Sorry. <laughs> I said nerds are in now. Yeah. Yeah. Nerds are in. And like, I think they've found that <laughs> the, you know, big super fans of the show, um, are, who are not always nerds, but you know, sometimes are, right. uh, make for better television at the time they you know, they, sure. they didn't necessarily see that. Um, Right. But anyway, so they'd already cast it, and they'd already cast a nerd, but they decided he wasn't really a true nerd. And, and I had a friend who worked in <laughs> casting who was like, you know, who said to them, you know, I've, I've got a real nerd for you. Uh, so she emailed me over Facebook and said, you know, do you want to be on Survivor? Um, and I said no. And, uh, you know, three months later, I was on a plane to Brazil. <laughs> So did you did you just think like this has got to be a hoax? This is this has got to be like someone's pranking me. Like, did you just think like this is ridiculous? Or I mean, I, it's yeah. so absurd to have that come out of the blue. No, I thought it was total. I thought it was completely absurd. Um, I obviously it just it did seem like so completely crazy. You know, I, I actually you know I'm embarrassed to say I was not a huge fan at the time. I didn't even know Survivor was still <laughs> on the air. I'm, I hopefully I've made up with you know that my, my you know my fan credibility uh, over time. Um, sure. But but uh, at the time I was, you know now I, I recognize Survivor as an incredible show. And if any of your listeners don't watch it, it's a really um, it's it's a an amazing show because what it does is it brings together people from all different walks of life from every state. You know you've got you know people from from all different social spheres and political backgrounds and, and belief systems. Right. And then they're forced to, to literally to live together and then to play this game, which is a social game. You have, they have to work with each other in order to solve problems. Right. Those problems being both, you know, the problem of how do I build a shelter? And then the, the game problem of how do I vote someone right. out? And it's actually a show that a lot of speaking, you know, I know that this is a, a dad podcast and it's a lot of, mm -hmm. it's a, a lot of families watch it together uh, for that very right. reason because it does show um you know people li living together people working together uh it shows you know different people from different walks of life um and, and the other issue is that or the other reason is that kids love it it's it's an adventure show you know it's it's going right. out into the wilderness and surviving and there's big obstacle courses so um it's right. it's one of the rare tv shows that um families still watch together Oh, right. and it's because it's like safe. You know, it's not. It's not. Um, you know, there's not, nothing violent is going to happen. There's not going to be swearing. Right. There's not going to be you know nudity. I mean, there may be nudity, but it will be very blurred. Um, sure. So it's uh, you know, it's a safe. It's a safe show. Yeah, I really love it because you know, to your point, it's an adventure show, and that's what I mean drew me to it uh, back when I first started watching it in season two. Um, it came on after the Super Bowl, and I was like, "What is this show? I've never seen anything yes. like it before in my life." 
and I was hooked, instantly hooked. And of course, it didn't hurt that Colby was from Texas, so you know that was my uh, that was my guy from day one. Yeah. But um, but <laughs> but it's just it it is crazy in that it continues to evolve and survive, no pun intended, because <laughs> of how many demographics it crosses and yeah. what all it brings to the table. You know, it's 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 just got everything. It's it's a really fantastic show. And I know this season is kind of it's it's interesting too. I'm not quite even sure what to make of this season. Um but uh but yeah, no, it's still it's still good and it's it's going on. And for those that it, so if you're listening and you're interested, I will give a plug for uh Steven shows up on Rob's sister Nino. Rob's been on the show before uh last year. And uh, they do the Survivor Know-It-Alls, which is an immediate post-show recap of the of Survivor every Wednesday. And it's up, uh, it's live on Wednesday, and then it's up on the podcast feed on Thursday. So go to uh, Rob Has a Podcast. I'll put those details in the show notes as well. If you want to hear more of Steven talk about Survivor, you can go there. So That's something I can talk about, unlike literacy in America. Like, I'm very skilled <laughs> at talking about Survivor. Yeah. <laughs> um, Man, I'm trying to decide if I want to ask you about your experience or pick your brain on this season. I think I'll I think I'll ask about your experience, and and people can go to know it alls to hear your perspective on this season. But uh, something I want to ask: uh, tell me from both of your seasons, what's something that maybe didn't make the air that really meant a lot to you, both in Token Genes and in Cambodia, that you kind of still hold with you today? Yeah, that's a really great question. It's not. I don't think it's a question I've gotten. Um, it's a great question. And, you know, I think, I mean, this is going to sound so corny, but it, you know, it really is the <laughs> bonds you make, you know, certainly for my first season. Well, the second time you go back, survive, there's, it's a lot, it, it is less exciting, you know, but the first time you go, you know, Survivor is this incredible adventure. You know, you're, you're basically, sure. you know, marched into the wilderness with 15 strangers at the time and, and, and then, and said like, okay, go play this game. And, there's basically no rules, you know, there's no value system, right? I mean, by, by that, I mean, Survivor right. is determined by a jury vote, uh, the winner, but what that jury votes on is completely up to them, you know? So there's no, like, you have to be strong or you have to be fast or you have to be smart. You know, it, it, the way that the game is played is totally up to every individual and collectively right. up to the, the individuals on that season. Um, and, it's just like this this incredible sense of, of adventure. But, but you know, I think the thing that I treasure the most, and again, this is going to sound so boring and corny, is really just those <laughs> times around the campfire where we would be sharing stories, we'd be singing songs, you know, we would be, um, you know, reciting poems, um, you know, and like it's, it's of yeah. course like, and, and, and you know, the, and, and also those times in the shelter when it's raining out and you're all huddled together and, you know, you're just like doing what you can for each other. And especially that first season. I mean, the second season I had, you know, I think the second time you go back, it's like there's less that sense of camaraderie, like that less sense sure. of like these people are on this amazing adventure. It's just us, you know, together. You know, I think in, in the subsequent seasons, you know, Survivor is something you've done. You've, you know, you've done it with other people. It's like not that doesn't have the same magic to it. Um, sure. You know, you're not necessarily looking out for each other in the same way. Um, but, but, you know, the, the, the times we had, right. Like it's every, everyone who's ever been to summer <laughs> yeah. camp, you know, it's the, it's oh the, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> it's like the most intense summer camp. 
<laughs> oh, I love it so much. It's like uh, it's like summer camp meets uh, pledging yeah, meets exactly. uh, boot camp. Yeah, <laughs> or maybe not boot camp, boot camp, but um, like uh, two days football, two days. So yeah, like all three rolled into one. Well, that's awesome. Well, thank you so much, Stephen. We're gonna pivot now into our final segment of the show. It is the dad joke of the week. Uh-oh. This is a segment where I hurl dad jokes at my unsuspecting guests oh, to no. try and get them to laugh while, while the audience groans. But uh, I can't hear the audience. I can only hear my guests, so I'm in good shape. <laughs> but I always like to catch my guests off guard and ask them if they have any dad jokes they would like to offer up. So, Stephen, do you have any dad jokes you'd like to offer up to the listeners? Oh, my God. I'm sure, like, I, I feel like dad jokes are my forte, but I often <laughs> I can't think of any. Like, I feel like all of my jokes are dad jokes, but I can't think of any off the, off the top of my head. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. I've got a, I've got uh, three uh, that I think you'll enjoy. So uh, first of all, uh, Stephen, hey, I just wanted to let you, or it's something I've been wondering lately. I've been wondering uh, if you see a robbery at an Apple store, what does that make you? Um, I hate to say it, but you're really breaking up. Like I can't hear. I not only oh. can I, I, I can't hear your dad joke at all. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. It's okay. My can silence. My yeah, yeah. That's better. Okay. Okay. There we go. All right. Oh, I was like, wow, that one's really bad. Yeah. No. So, uh, Stephen, Stephen, if you see a robbery in an Apple store, what does that make you? Oh God, I'm gonna have to come up with with the clip. If you see a robbery, it's like an eye, something eye, something, right? Like an eye. Um, if you see a rob, eye, eye accomplice or something, like an eye wit, eye witness. Okay, eye witness. Oh, yes, God. that's right. Ding. Boo, boo. There it is. <laughs> um, uh, Stephen, what do you call it when Batman skips church? Oh my God. Um. Batman skips shirts. It's always a yes. bat of something, right? And this is like, mm-hmm. uh, like he's shirking. What, uh, I think part of the problem might be my unfamiliarity with with church terminology here. <laughs> give give no, it to me. Um, here you go. Yeah, uh, Christian Bale. Christian. Oh Bale. my God. Oh God. Because <laughs> he's Bale. Glad that I couldn't oh. come up with that one. That, I would have just that's much right. much better to not be able to. <laughs> all right. All right. Last one. Last one. Uh, Stephen, why does the Norway Navy have barcodes on the side of their ships? The Norway Navy. Norway Navy have barcodes on the side of their ships. Scan, something scan, so they can Scandinavian. Yes, there yeah. it is. There it is. Oh, so they yeah. can Scandinavian. Boom. Wow. That oh, was Steve. terrible. That was really, yes. that was terrible. <laughs> Thank you so much. I'll be here all week. Oh, my God. This is one of my favorite jokes. And I guess it qualifies as a dad joke. It's, it's not okay, a joke. Okay, okay. It's like, it's like a, one, a dad one-liner. It's like, okay. right, uh, two fish are in a tank. One says to the other, how the hell do you drive this thing? <laughs> is that can i say hell I, this is a, this yes is a family yes family yes I don't, okay yeah no you're good you're yeah. good no <laughs> sorry that's uh i like that not necessarily oh my god in the venue okay. that's fantastic um oh that's fantastic well steven if people want to follow you and see what you're up to what's the best way for them to do that uh, i am at steven fishback on twitter i would say that's probably the best way perfect and I will, of course, put the links to that as well as the podcast in the show notes. Uh, listeners, I'll be back next week with more great content. Oh, Stephen, I completely forgot. We need a hashtag for this episode. Oh, my God. Um, should we go with I, I feel like it hashtag... Should be... Oh, go ahead. Oh, what? 
I was going to say, should we go with hashtag paraphrase or... Uh, oh, yeah. I, uh, I was thinking something like that really was a testament to how completely incompetent I was at the, uh, at, uh, you know, speaking about how completely... Um, oh, yes. Hashtag paraphrase is probably nicer. You know, <laughs> I, I would also accept hashtag totally unprepared, but um, you know, that might be a lot... That might be too many characters. Um, you know, I think we could go with totally unprepared. That's okay, fine. That, that tells... Uh, that, that draws people in. Yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> I like it. Um, uh, let me see here. Okay. Well, listeners, thanks so much for listening. Uh, we'll be back next week with more great content. Brian McLaren is going to return to the podcast, so look forward to that. And, uh, Stephen, thank you so much for stopping by. I really appreciate it. Oh, my gosh. Thank you so much for having me. I was uh, truly honored and uh, delighted that uh, to be able to do this with you. Yes, absolutely. Well, listeners, until next time, hashtag totally unprepared and hashtag be a better dad. If you know of an interesting person or story that needs to be told, please reach out to me at detoxpodcast at gmail.com. That's D-T-A-L-K-S podcast at gmail.com. You can also reach out via Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at detoxpodcast or visit detoxpodcast.com. Also, be sure to leave us a five-star rating on iTunes if you like the show. It only takes a few seconds and it really helps us out. Link is in the show notes. Finally, thanks for listening. Please come back next week when we'll have another interesting conversation. And special thanks to my producers, Ben Lawant and Galan Aldaco. Without your help and support, this show wouldn't be possible. Thanks so much, guys. Detox is a production of Vocal. For more information and more programming, please visit vocalnow.com. That's V-O-K-A-L-N-O-W.com.